All right. So grab a Bible if you brought your own. If you didn't bring one, just raise your hand if you want one and they'll bring you one. Otherwise, all the scripture will be up here on the screen. So you don't have to have one, but we want to encourage you always bring your personal Bible to church. It's a great thing to bring to church. Um, There are notes in front of you. And in the seat back in front of you, you can just uh, grab those and take notes. We want to encourage you because we write down important things. We write down uh, things that people tell us that we need to remember. And so anything from Scripture is something we need to remember. So raise your hand if you want one of those. If, uh, if not, you'll just kind of turn your eyes to the screen. Many of you know, if you've, uh, if you've been around me very much, um, or if you've been a part of United for very long, uh, you know that I really don't talk much about school. Um, And uh, I really, um, quite honestly, don't particularly care what grades you get on your tests and what you get. And yeah, amen. Yeah, y'all love me for that. I I don't really care. That's not my priority as the student pastor of of a church. uh, My job, my number one priority is to shepherd the students that God brings here to United. And to shepherd them not towards the honor roll, but to shepherd them towards Jesus and to shepherd them towards the Savior who has died for them, that loves them, that's done everything for them, and to teach them how to be more like Jesus. We want to raise you guys up. We want to send you guys out to the world that needs to hear about Jesus. That's why we do mission trips and all that. So that is my priority. That is my job description. My job description is not to worry necessarily and primarily about your grades or about your attendance in school or about what you do on a soccer field or on a basketball court. I care about those things. I care about you guys, but they are not my number one priority. And you've heard me, heard me talk about that before if you've kind of had private conversations with me. And to be honest, school, um, for lack of a better word, kind of sucks, right? How many people love school? Raise your hand. All right, my, my point exactly. How many of you in some way, shape, or form dislike school? There we go. So the majority of us, school, uh, school really isn't the most fun place to be. And here's why. I'll just give you a few reasons. Here's my number one reason. It's my number one reason really to not like anything. Um, we have to wake up early, do we not? High schoolers, you start school at an ungodly hour. 7.15, come on. This is ridiculous. You have to wake up at 7.15, or you have to be at school at 7.15. means you have to leave the house by, uh, I don't know, 7, 6.45, depends on where you live. And uh, that means for the boys, you wake up at 6.41, and the girls, you wake up at like 5.15 to get ready for school. And so it is just, that's, it just starts it all on a bad track, right? School, waking up early, come on, like this, this, is, this, is, this is miserable. On a side note, on a side note, when I was in high school, I had one glorious year, one glorious year in Tampa where in my ninth grade year, I went to a school called Sickles High School, and we had this thing in Tampa. All the schools were, were overcrowded, so they had this thing called split session. You've probably never heard of split session. It's an incredible thing. I highly recommend it to, uh, to, to schools, because um, at least for the students, because what it meant was that the school could not hold all the students. We had over 3,000 students in the school. They could not hold all the students. And so they put all the upperclassmen on one session and all the lowerclassmen or the freshmen and sophomores on the other session. And so what that meant for me um, was that I started school at noon. Oh my goodness, this was amazing. The, it meant something worse for the seniors. They woke up or they had to be at school uh, by 6.30, I think. Or actually, I think it might've started at six o'clock. So like, do the math on that. It was crazy. And they got out, though, at lunchtime. They were out at noon um, or 1230. And so uh, we would go to school from about 12 to 6. And during that year, I got to wake up. Uh, I know it's late, but I got to sleep in, so I liked it. And, uh, and so I would wake up late and kind of lounge around, go to the gym in the morning. It was, it was an amazing thing. But that was only one year. The rest of my life, 
sucks because I had to get up early, had to go to school, and, and I just don't like getting up early for anything. Uh, another thing that kind of stinks about school is homework. Homework. So you go to school seven or eight hours a day, five days a week for most of the year, and then they decide that they want to give you extra work. And so for the, for the really kind of whatever students or the students that go to Fletcher, uh, you spend about 30 minutes on homework, right? You spend 30, oh, no, no, it's not that you're not smart. It's just at the school. Come on. It's, uh, it is what it is. So you might spend about 30 minutes on homework, but some of you kids that are like obsessed with school, no matter where you go and you're like, oh, I got to have, I got to have the right grades all the time. Some of you spend about I don't know, seven hours a day once you get home on homework and studying and you're always stretch, stressed out and you're like, I can't go to school. Ah, like, I, I can't go to church. I can't do anything. I got to do schoolwork, homework, homework, homework. I don't like homework, especially, um, especially busy work, which a lot of times in school you get all this busy work and worksheets and all this stuff. And it's not just reading and projects. It's like all these other little assignments, which uh, kind of stinks. So I don't like homework. I don't like bells. I don't like the sound of bells. They're really loud and jarring, especially when you've slept through the entire period, which I often did. It was kind of like my alarm clock in senior year where I would just hear it. I'd be like, oh, okay, I, I got to go up and go somewhere else to go back to sleep, at least for the first two periods. That was kind of my thing. I didn't like the bells. Um, if you go to Fletcher, which I did for two and a half years, uh, you experience um, these larger than life, sometimes up to six inches, cockroaches, and they are all over the school. Yeah, I know. I remember, I remember one time I had a teacher in chemistry and he smashed one during class. It was like running, scurrying along the, the ground. He smashed it in class and literally, I swear, I kid you not, for the rest of the year, it never got cleaned up. There was just, it just like petrified and turned into a fossil on the ground. It was like, come on, man, like clean, like scoop it up, do something, like do something, get like a gum scraper and get it up or do something like that. And so I don't like the bugs and, uh, and school had a lot of bugs when I went to, to Fletcher. And then the last thing, uh, that is kind of difficult, and God calls us to love these people, but we don't choose who we're in school with. You can choose your friends. You can choose where you go to work. You can choose uh, where you go to college. You can choose a lot of things in life, but you can't choose who you're in classes with for the most part. You are stuck in a room, a little box, with about 30, 35, 40 other people sometimes, and you are, are, are with them for an hour a day, and you can't control who's next to you. And sometimes it's people you get along with, sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's people you can't stand. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a couple of weeks as we talk about what the gospel, what Jesus has to say about that. But the point is, um, I'm not the biggest fan of school. A lot of you aren't the biggest fan of school. Again, it's not my top priority. So you may be wondering at this point, why on earth are we doing a series about school? He just spent time just railing on school. So why are we doing a series on school? Well, here's why we're doing it. And here's what it has to do with Jesus. And with the gospel. That's the first thing I want you to take down if you're taking notes. And we're going to repeat it over and over again throughout this series. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Now, what the gospel is, for those of you who, who may not know, you hear it, it's like a church word. It literally means good news. What is that good news? The good news is that there is a God who created us, who created everything, who loves each one of us so much, whether we believe in him or not, whether we believe in another religion, whether we've grown up in church or not, loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, but first to be with us, to be with human beings, to be among us, and then uh, to go to the cross and die for us because we've all messed up. 
We've all uh, fallen short of God's glory. We've all done, done the church word, which is sin. We have, we've done things that are wrong to other people. We have said the wrong thing. We have, we have slacked off when we shouldn't have. We have not pursued God when we should have. And we've all messed up. And so we need the gospel and the, it is, quite honestly, very, 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 very good news. In fact, the best news we can have because it doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, where you're from, the gospel applies to you. And the good news is God wants to be in a relationship with you through Jesus and his sacrifice. It is very, very, very good news. And this gospel changes everything. Jesus came and his sacrifice changed every single thing that we could ever imagine. Every single part of our life is affected. And, and to, I know we're talking about school and, and grammar applies, but I'm going to use a double negative. Nothing doesn't matter to God. Nothing doesn't matter to him. Every part of your life is important to him, especially because of what Jesus did. Every single part of your life matters to him. And why are we talking about school? Because if the gospel changes everything, it sure as heck changes the place that we are the most present in in our entire teenage life. You spend more time, more, more waking hours in school than anywhere else from the ages of, I don't know, four or five until you're 18. And you are constantly there. It's your best chance to live out, live out your life in a way that honors Christ. It's your best chance to um, experience some different things that will challenge you in your faith. It's your best chance to grow in your faith. It's your best chance to reach out to those other people that are in the classrooms with you. It is an amazing opportunity to allow the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to change our lives. Now, I just want to clarify one thing as we start this series, and it is this. Some of this might sound like we're just preaching morals. Like we're just saying, you got to do this, 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 and this. And you might leave here thinking, oh my gosh, I have this laundry list that I have to do now that I didn't even know about. Like commands and, and things that God wants me to do that I didn't even know about. I had enough trouble with all the other stuff, and now I got this, and this is too much. And, and, but that's not what God wants for us. He says, my, my, my load is light, and I take your burden upon me. It's, it's easy. I want, you to, I want you to follow after me and rest in me. That's not what, what Jesus wants as a homework list. And that's not what we're actually preaching. We're preaching actually grace and the effect that grace has on us. And so if you were given a billion dollars by someone tomorrow, it would change your life. It would change the way you spend money. It would change the way you interact with people to a certain degree. It would change where you go, where you live maybe. It would change um, kind of whether or not you go to school or whether or not you go to work. It would change a lot of things because you get this humongous gift and it's going to change your life. It's the same thing with Jesus' grace, this amazing grace, this incredible grace that, that, that forgives us for everything should and will change our lives, especially when it comes to the relationships and the emotions and, and the way that we function on a day-to-day -day basis. And so what I want you to do is turn over to Philippians 1, 27. That's where we're going to start. Philippians 1, 27. That's where we're going to start when it comes to Scripture. And uh, this is a letter from Paul. We're going to read a lot of Paul's letters during this, this series. And Paul is writing to this church, and actually Paul's in prison. And actually, he's, uh, he's actually being able to share Jesus with prison guards and other prisoners and all these things. He's actually in this terrible situation where he's still able to share Jesus. The gospel is changing him even as he's in prison. And as he's in this terrible place, he writes this letter to this church. And he, he has this one verse that I think kind of defines everything that it means to be a Christian. 
and kind of, kind of just a, a guideline verse. In fact, I've quoted this to many of you when you come and you ask me, well, well, what about this? Is this right? Is this wrong? And all this kind of stuff. I've given you this verse. Such an incredible verse. Write it down. Philippians 1.27. And it says this. Whatever happens. Everybody say, whatever happens. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, no matter what happens, no matter what situation you're in, no matter where you are, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then Paul says, whether I come to you or I see you or or I hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So Paul says, whatever happens. He's saying the gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. You are supposed to live a life according to the gospel, in light of the gospel, that honors the gospel. And in everything, you should do that. If things are bad, you do it anyway. If things are good, you do it anyway. If you're with someone you like or with someone you don't like, if you're in a situation that's, that, 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 you, that you really want to happen or in your situation that maybe you kind of wish was over, no matter what, no matter what, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying the gospel changes everything. Now we're going to flip back a couple of books to Romans. And this is another letter written by him, Romans. And he's church, writing it to a church in Rome. We're going to go to Romans 11, Romans 11. And actually for this one... Um, I want you to keep your, keep your thumb there because we're going to read uh, a verse out of it. But actually for this one, I want to look at a different uh, translation that some of you have heard of before. It's called The Message. The Message. It's a message translation. And we're going to start in uh, chapter or verse 33, chapter 11. And here's what's going on in Romans. The first 11 chapters of Romans are written all about like theology, which means like the study of God. It's like all these amazing spiritual truths, these amazing things that God has done. It's talking about the gospel and all this stuff. And then uh, the last five chapters of Romans are all about what should we do because of the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So the first 11 chapters is like theology, teachings. The last five chapters is all about, now this is what you need to do. In light of all of that, this is what you need to do. And so we're going to kind of bridge the gap between 11 and 12 as he makes this transition. So he finishes 11 with this. He says, have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of, good, of God? Paul's saying, have you ever seen anything like this? This is incredible. The gospel's incredible. This deep, deep wisdom, it's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Is anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Has there, is there anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask his advice? And then he says this, Everything comes from God. Everything happens through God. Everything ends up in God. So we're saying everything that is in the the entire world is all about God. It's through God. It's for God. It's all this stuff. And then he says, always glory. Basically, it's all about God's glory. We've talked about this before uh, when we did the Look Up series last year. Always glory. Always praise. Yes, yes, yes. Here's what he's saying. All this stuff that I've just told you, it's all about God. It's amazing. We can't even understand it, but we get to experience it. Oh, it's incredible. And then he transitions to chapter 12. And he says, now, here's what I want you to do. In the NIV, he says, therefore, therefore, because of all this, therefore, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. He says, so here's what I want you to do. Because of all this, because of the gospel, because the gospel changes everything, God helping you, which is the only way we can accomplish any of this. This isn't a homework list. This is us chasing after God and him changing us and helping us change our day-to-day lives. He says, God helping you. I want you to do this. Take your everyday, 
ordinary life. That sounds like school, right? Every day, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're going to school, you're walking around life, and I want you to place it before God. I want you to place it before God. So um, what, what, what he's saying here is we are supposed to put down our life as a sacrifice for God. He's saying your everyday, your normal life, your everyday life, I want you to put it on the altar before God as a living sacrifice. Your everyday, ordinary life is to be put down before God. Here's what he's saying. If all the world is about God, okay? If all the world is about God, if everything comes from God, if everything's for God, if it's all about God's glory, shouldn't your life, your everyday normal life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to school, everything, shouldn't it reflect his glory? So I want you to ask yourself a question right now and be honest with yourself. You don't have to answer it out loud. Just think about it in your mind. Does my life, more importantly, more specifically, does my school life reflect God's glory. Here's a truth um, that may be a little bit scary for some of us, but I want you to write it down. It says this, your homework should reflect God's glory. Your homework should reflect God's glory. For some of you, that is a, an awful thought um, because your homework, uh, you know, does nothing uh, of, the, of the nature of God's glory. But your homework should reflect God's glory. You can put really any word in there. Your Attendance should reflect God's glory. Your test-taking should reflect God's glory. Your obedience to teachers and respect for teachers should reflect God's glory. Anything you do, your, 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 your athletic achievements, the way you, you practice, the way you play, the way you, uh, you work at your part-time job, it should reflect God's glory. Anything we do should reflect God's glory. And so we go back to Romans 12.1, and I want us to look at it in the, uh, in the NIV version. We'll go back to the NIV version here. And it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That word or that phrase, true and proper, um, from the original Greek is, is kind of a word for logic. Logic, And so a better way or another way to, to translate this would be that Paul is saying, this is your logical form of worship. This is uh, like logically, if he's given you all this, logically, your form of worship, your response should be offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offering your homework, offering your schoolwork, offering the way you treat teachers and treat classmates, the way you walk around, everything should reflect God's glory. And so let's just break it down real quick, and we'll, we'll, we'll focus mostly on the school side. Your schoolwork should reflect God's glory, is what he's saying. In, in light of the gospel, because of what he's done for you, your logical reaction should be, hey, my, my work should reflect God's glory. Now, what I'm not telling you to be is an honor roll student. Not all of you are honor roll students, and that's okay. Not of you, all of you are, are very good at school. Not all of you are good at math. Not all of you are good at science, all that kind of stuff. What God does not want from you is to be A, B. There are a lot of honor roll people who don't know Jesus, and, and, and knowing Jesus is a lot more important than your grades. But, but here's the important thing. God wants you to give your all to whatever you do. So if you are a C student, you should give your all to get C's. If you are a B student, you should give your all to get B's. If you are an A student, you should give your all to get A's. I know a lot of times, if we're A students, we're like, ah, I can skate by with B's because that's easy and I, I don't really have to try. Is that reflecting God's glory? I, I just want you to ask yourself, is, is, your, are, is the way that you approach school of reflecting God's glory? 
And I know we're getting into like the, the, the deep, uh, small details, but again, look at what Paul says. He says, your whole life should be a sacrifice. Not just part of it, not just your Sunday, not just your Wednesday nights, not just whether or not you have sex, not just whether or not you, you, you drink or you smoke. There are other things that matter to God, and those other things are everything. Everything matters to God. And so even your homework and your schoolwork and the way you study and the projects you do and the speeches you give, all of those things should reflect God's glory. The way you are obedient to a teacher should reflect God's glory. And, and oh man, for some, of you, for some of you high schoolers, this is gonna be a big one. Your attendance should reflect God's glory. Does, does, does it reflect, and I'm not asking what's right or wrong. I'm not asking what everybody else does. I'm not asking even what your teacher lets you do. I'm asking you, does it reflect God's glory to never be in class when you are supposed to be in class? Does it reflect God's glory? You can answer me. Okay, it's a very simple question. If you say yes, you're lying to yourself. You just really are because there is a rule, there is a standard, and God, and, and God has put people in power over us. There's scripture about that. We could, we could go study a bunch of scripture about authority. There is authority in place over us, and we are called to listen to that authority. And so even with something so stupid or so meaningless to us like attendance, it should still reflect God's glory. Even your sports and, and your part-time job should reflect God's glory. I remember I worked at Publix. And uh, in high school for my junior and senior year. And uh, I did my job. Um, my, my, my managers liked me just fine and all that kind of stuff. But I can look back and tell you, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do it to the glory of God. I had this kind of technique. They never let us sit down. And that's a, that's a mistake. They should let us sit down. But they never let us sit down. And so uh, sometimes my legs would get tired at the end of like a seven-hour shift. And I just came from school and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, we had a break room. But the break room is for people that are on break. I wouldn't be on break. So I'd go in the break room and I'd sit down at the table talk to people maybe that were on break, that kind of thing, just kind of hanging out, all that stuff. But I'd have a broom in my hand. And this broom was a very key component of the game I was playing. You see, whenever I saw footsteps or heard footsteps coming under the crack of the door, I would stand up and start sweeping every single time. And I'd get up really fast. Like, like, when, you, like when you know your parents are coming, they're about to catch you red-handed doing something, and you stand up and you're like, uh, uh, not doing anything, not doing anything. Or, yeah, yeah, I was just doing homework. So I would get up and start sweeping the break room. I'd be like sweeping nothing because there's nothing on the floor. And, uh, and then if it was a friend or a coworker, I'd be like, they'd be like, uh, chill out, you can sit down. I'd be like, oh, God. Thanks. All right, but then when every once in a while I'd be like a supervisor or something, I'd be like, oh, sorry. You know, I was trying to clean up the break room. You know, I was so, so excited to do work that even though I couldn't find any work to do out there, I came in here and I just had to sweep up the break room. Was I, was I living my life with excellence? Was I serving and, and working in the, to the glory of God? No, I, I really wasn't. And so we should do everything to the glory of God. People should look at Christians and say, wow, look at how excellent they do things. And why should they say that? Because they said it about Jesus. Turn over to one verse in Mark. Mark 7, 37. Mark 7, 37. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Second book of the New Testament. Mark chapter 7. And what's happened is Jesus is... uh, kind of hanging out with his disciples. He walks up. There's this guy who can't speak and he can't hear. And he goes up to him and, he, and his friends bring them to Jesus. And he's like, uh, okay, heal him. And he, say, and he touches the guy's ears. He touches his tongue. And he says, be open. And he heals him in that moment. But then he tells the guy something kind of weird. He says, hey, don't go tell everybody. He knew his timing wasn't yet. He, he knew it wasn't his, his, his opportunity to become famous. Jesus knew his role. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. So he said, don't go tell everybody about this. Uh, let's just keep this between you and me. But the more he told these people to do this, the more they kept talking about it. 
And then in verse 37, we see something very important. It says, people were overwhelmed with amazement. People were overwhelmed with amazement. Why were they overwhelmed with amazement? Why were they so amazed that this man, this homeless guy who walked around in not nice clothes with a bunch of not nice people, didn't really have much uh, in the way of of looks and power and all that stuff. Why were they overwhelmed with amazement? What is their number one reason? You always give your number one reason first. Their number one reason was not he has raised people from the dead. It was not he teaches us all these amazing things. It was not he's healed this guy. Actually, that was his, their second reason. Their first reason was this. He has done everything well. Now, let's, let's backtrack to Philippians. Paul says, do everything to the glory of the gospel of Jesus. They say he has done everything well. Jesus has done everything well. And then they said this, he even, that's like their second reason, their second argument. He even makes people that are deaf hear and he makes the mute speak. But their number one reason that they were amazed at him was he has done everything well. It wasn't the miracles, it wasn't the teachings, it was day after day living life to the level of the good news of God, the glory of God, reflecting God's glory. And that word well, that word well is so plain in the English language, so boring. Well, how did, how, how did you do on your test? I did well. How did you do in the game? I did well. Or you might say good. Oh, school was good. United was good. Life group was good. Work was good. We, it's such a boring, plain word. This word well, though, uh, in the original Greek, is the word kalos, kalos. And here's what it really means. Here's, here's how we can say it uh, and some of the definitions of this word. So when they say he has done everything well, here's what they were saying. He has done everything Beautifully. Beautifully. That's what this word means. Beautifully. It it means done it with excellence or excellently. It means he's done it honorably, leaving no room for blame. No room for blame. He's done it truly. He's done it nobly. He has done all things, Kalos, beautifully, excellently. That is what his life looked like. People looked at him and they saw beauty. They saw excellence. They saw a guy that in his relationships, in the way he talked, in the way he taught, in the way he did miracles, in the way he used money, in the way he, in the way he walked, in the way he, he did everything, in the way he worked, everything was done with excellence. And they said, wow, this is incredible. And so here's what we should take from that. We should strive to be the best because Jesus gave us his best. Strive to be the best because Jesus gave us his best. And he didn't just give us his best in life. Uh, Again, the people said, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. But it wasn't just that that that, that really kind of amazed them. Because he didn't just give his best in life, he gave his best in death. Here's the last scripture we're going to look at. Colossians 2, you don't have to turn there. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. says this, and it's talking about Jesus' death. And I want to make sure you don't tune out on this. Many of you are Christians and you think, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. I've got my teaching for the night. I need to be better in school, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's, that's not the point. The point is Jesus. The point is the gospel. The point is the power that allows us to do those things and the power that enables us to do those things. And it is talked about in 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in Jesus, if, if it's your first time to church or your second time to church, or you're not really sure what you believe, you're kind of confused on the whole thing, I want you to hear this because it's so important for every single one of us. 
And Christians, followers of Jesus in this room, if you miss this, then you've lost your way. We have to always go back to what Jesus did on the cross because that is what it's all about. It says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, what that means is like your, your heart hadn't been changed yet. You were still living according to your old ways, to your sinful ways, all that. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your pl- flesh, God made you alive with Christ. What can a dead person do? A dead person could do nothing. A dead person, there's a reason why we bury dead people and put them in a coffin and we put them six feet under the ground or we, 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 uh, um, we burn the bodies and we take the ashes and we put them somewhere. There's a reason, because dead people can do nothing. Nothing. They can do nothing on their own. They can't spend money. They can't get better. They can't do work. They can't make themselves a, a better person or get themselves closer to God. They're dead. And we were dead. But God, through Jesus, made us alive. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. What he's saying is like there was a charge against our life, like a, like a sentence on our life, like a criminal. He canceled it. He canceled this indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He's taken away the sins. He's taken away the mistakes. He's taken away uh, the the times where we haven't glorified God in our lives. And and he has nailed it to the cross. This is what enables us to live life with excellence and live life according to the gospel of Jesus. Is that we don't have to worry about the mass mistakes because Jesus worried about it for us. We don't have to worry about our sins because Jesus is already taking care of it. And he didn't just nail it to the cross, die and say, okay, it's finished. No, no, no. That's why the writer continues here in verse 15 gives a beautiful picture of what Jesus actually did to our sin and our old way of living. He says this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It says he made a public spectacle of our sin. He made a public spectacle of our former life. What it's saying is that he lived and he died with excellence. And he glorified God in all that he did. And that should be the way we should do it as well. The picture that is is given when it says he made a public spectacle was was the way a Roman general, you might have seen Gladiator or something, a Roman general, after winning a battle or winning a war or conquering a people, would come back into Rome and people would line the streets and they'd throw confetti and they'd be like, this is amazing. And they would bring with them the gold and the, the art and the things they had won in this war. They bring with them the slaves that they brought from this other country. They bring with them all the, all the, the soldiers that had been defeated and surrendered to them if they hadn't already killed them. And they'd bring them and they'd show them to the city and they'd be like, look at them. They are not mighty enough to conquer us. They are an embarrassment to themselves and they are the sign of our glory. This is what Jesus did to our sin. He didn't just, some of us look at like Jesus and we're like, oh, he's like a little safe sad little man who just died and nobody cared about. No, 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 no. No, he, he triumphed over them by the cross. He made a public spectacle of them. And so whatever the thing is in your life, whatever the mistake is that you've messed up with, the sin that you keep on struggling with, I want you to remember you, <clears throat> through Jesus, and through surrendering to Jesus, have made a public spectacle of your former way of life. This is what truly saves us. Not, not a laundry list of doing the right thing, but Jesus saves us. And Jesus gives us the ability and even the reason to live our life, to live out in school 
according to the gospel, to do everything with excellence. I want people to look at people from United. I want students and teachers to be like, man, they do everything well. Everything they do is beautiful. Like I, I, their work, their handwriting, the way they treat me, they treat me so much better. And I want substitutes to come to your school and be like, oh my gosh, that kid actually treats me with some level of respect. That, that kid actually dresses the dress code. That kid actually comes to class. That kid actually treats his other classmates in a way that's nice. Man, how amazing would it be if people would look at us and say, man, they live life beautifully. Because they live life beautifully, I wonder, maybe it's only one person wonders, but I wonder what, why they do that. I wonder why they do that. And so I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Because the, those of you who are, who are in this room that are Christians, um, you, know, you know about this. You follow after Jesus, and now you're, you're trying to take that and trying to apply it to the classroom, apply it to your school life. But there are some of you in this room that say, none of that applied to me. And you're right. If you're not a follower of Jesus, none of it really applied to you because Paul was writing to Christians. But, but it can apply to you. And I can tell you what does apply to you. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You may be dead in your sins right now, but God wants to make you alive in Christ. He wants to change your life in Christ. And so on the count of three, if you want to give your life over to Jesus, I want to ask you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand for a reason. I want you to remember publicly that you raised your hand and physically you raised your hand to say yes to Jesus. Yes, I'm yours. Yes, I want to follow after you. Yes, I want you to change me. Yes, I want you to make a spectacle of my old way of living. Yes, I want to follow after you and change my life and live my life to the glory of you. I want a new way and I want to follow after your way. So on the count of three, if that's you, if that's you who wants to follow Jesus, I want to ask you to raise your hand. One, God loves you. Two, you'll never be the same. Three, raise your hand. Raise it high. Raise it high if that's you. Raise it high. I'll give you a couple more seconds. If that's you, you feel that welling up inside you, and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to raise my hand. This is me. I need to pray this prayer. I need to follow Jesus. He's been calling me home. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray after me. Jesus, I'm yours. I know I've messed up. I know I've kind of made a mess of my life, that I'm not perfect, but I know you love me. I see it in scripture and I'm hearing it now. You love me. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I want to follow after you. I want to leave my old way and follow you on a new path. Forgive me. Be the savior of my life. It's in your name I pray. Amen. And so if that's you, if that's you and you raised your hand, I saw a couple hands go up. What, what, what someone might do is kind of tap you on the shoulder. And uh, we just want to meet you and talk to you and follow up with you because you raising your hand in a room is great. And it's amazing. But, but the reason we exist is to walk with you and help you come to know Jesus more. So we want to talk to you and kind of just talk through this with you, give you a gift, um, and just kind of help you on this walk towards Jesus. So if someone taps you on the shoulder, if you raised your hand, just go with them. You don't have to, but we, we invite you to. This is a way we want to follow up with you and celebrate with you, meet you. Everybody else, I want you to stand up. Stand up, stand up, stand up. And as, as we sing these last few songs, the altars are open. You can fill out a prayer card. And I want you to consider how do you, how do you need to change your life to glorify God how do you need to change the way you, you function at school now that you realize the gospel changes everything, even school?